So we've got three things that we need to talk about tonight. We need to talk about crucifixion, resurrection, and the tomb. So we're going to talk about crucifixion because Thursday, I've got a a, a whole nother message that I'll do on Thursday uh, about um, that's called from Gethsemane to the the cross. And so on uh, Monday, Thursday, we'll talk about uh, Gethsemane, the upper room and the, uh, the cross. And then we'll pick up with the cross to the tomb on Sunday morning. And so we got a busy week. So crucifixion uh, is discussed in all four of the Gospels. We've been talking about how uh, on um, um, our uh, journey towards the tomb that, that details are in some but not in others. Well, the crucifixion is in all four. And uh, while there's a few subtle differences, let me sort of uh, summarize the the handout that um, uh, Betsy made available through email is the uh, harmony of the gospels regarding crucifixion. So this is just the crucifixion verses. It's not the same as the one that I gave out um, the last time, which was uh, more of a, a, a real short version of that. So uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, all four uh, deal with it. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. So um, we're talking about Good Friday, and that, that term always puzzled me because it wasn't good for Jesus. It's good for us. It was a, a, an amazing thing, but um, Christians have observed Easter um, for ever since it, there was Easter. Uh, it's, it's one of the few dates during Holy Week that there's absolute agreement on um, because of the way Passover falls, the way that uh, the... Uh, crucifixion would have been on Friday. He would have been uh, taken down from the cross prior to the beginning of Passover, which would have been at 6 p.m. on uh, Friday night. So there's there's just not any uh, divergence in uh, what that meant. Um, and then Saturday, um, we think that that was the day that the religious leaders said we need to, to seal the tomb. We need to guard the tomb and make sure that Jesus' disciples are not able to steal the body and claim that it was resurrected. Uh, so they were beginning to understand what resurrection was about, but uh, they, they, they didn't want any part of it. Let's talk about crucifixion uh, for just a minute. And I, I don't want to spoil anybody's dinner, um, but... We do need to talk about um, the suffering part of that. Um, The crucifixion was one of the most horrifying, painful, and disgraceful forms of capital punishment. We, I won't say this on Sunday or even on Monday, Thursday, but uh, Jesus would not have had any clothes on at all. Part of the, uh, the crucifixion was the humiliation. So, 
and, and he would not have been way up in the air. He, he probably would have been a foot off the ground um, because the, the part of it was the humiliation. You, they had to be close enough for people to spit on. And so it would have been at a busy street, likely a street, uh, uh, well, obviously, where we'll, we'll see tonight that it's very hard to understand where the crucifixion took place. It's much easier to think about Gordon's Calvary, um, the, um, the garden tomb that was discovered in the, the late 1800s. It's not authentic, but it's, it's certainly more, uh, um, more what we have in our mind. Uh, I think Jesus would have been crucified kind of like near a bus stop. You know, it, it would have been a, a high traffic area. And, and, and because they built a church on top of it, you can't really even picture that in your mind anymore. I'll show you a, a picture of that in just a minute. Crucifixion means fixed to a cross, obviously. Brutal, brutal. Um, it was a combination of torture and execution. The, um, the Romans practiced it frequently hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people were crucified uh, during the, the Roman occupation of the Middle East. And, and they didn't just crucify them in Israel. I mean, they crucified them everywhere. The cross was, of course, not a symbol of anything. Uh, uh, matter of fact, there are, are three kinds of crosses that crucifixion took place. There's the uh, the cross that we understand, it looks like a, a lowercase t. There's a, an X, which became known as St. Andrew's Cross because it's believed that Simon Peter was crucified on an X upside down. And then there was just a, a stick, just a stake. Um, that was probably the most common, that there was just a, a, a post and that they would nail hands above the head to the center of the post, nail the feet to the center of the post. The, the, the extending of the, the arms was uh, sort of a, a wrinkle in crucifixion that made it more torturous because the whole thing is that the, uh, the muscles um, that, that hold the lungs and the rib cage are what are uh, compromised both with the, uh, uh, stretching out on the cross and also the piercing of the tendons in the hands and feet. And so crucifixion was a combination of death by dehydration, by uh, blood loss, um, and then most of the time asphyxiation because the, the rib cage and the lungs would collapse on themselves and um, uh, someone who's crucified would likely uh, that that's that's the reason that uh, at the uh, uh, the late hour in a crucifixion the Romans would break the legs of the people who were hanging on the cross so that they could no longer push up and force the the rib cage and the lungs up to where they could gasp for breath. So when the legs were broken, everything collapsed and death would happen quickly. Of course, Jesus's legs were not broken because he was dead already. And that was the prophecy. So um, crucifying criminals <clears throat> became extremely common 
during the rule of Alexander the Great, which was 300 and or so years before Christ. So the Romans had 300 years of this prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Um, so let's talk about Jesus's crucifixion for a minute. Uh, Christian theology teaches that Christ's death provided the atoning sacrifice. So the questions that, that come up, did Jesus have to die on the cross? And the answer is no. God could have done it any way he wanted. But God had been planning the crucifixion since the beginning of time. It, it, God could have done it any way he wanted. Did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Of course not. God could have done it any way he wanted. But he chose to have Jesus born of a virgin. He chose to have Jesus to die on the cross. And so the, the scripture is, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and, and, and all of the things that happened on the cross were fulfillment of prophecy as well. Um, Jesus um, was crucified because the Jews demanded that. They didn't want him to be stoned. They want him. They wanted him to die as a Roman traitor. They they he they they wanted it to be insurrection. You, you know that if you could label something insurrection, then it has a particularly poisonous uh, uh, verbiage to it. And so uh, only the Romans could sanction death by crucifixion. The the Jews. Uh, uh, formerly were able to execute a prisoner by stoning, but crucifixion was the exclusive domain of the Romans. During the Roman occupation, because the Jews kept misbehaving, they even took that away from them. They, they could no longer uh, um, provide capital punishment at all. The Romans had to do it. So the Sanhedrin demanded that Jesus be crucified. So Pilate fearing the Jews, turned Jesus over to the centurions to carry out the death sentence. Jesus was publicly beaten, publicly mocked. He was stripped of his clothes and led to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now, um, spoiler alert, both Golgotha and the tomb are inside a church today. So they are, are within the walls of a church. I'll show you a picture in a minute. But at the time Jesus was crucified, it was outside of the city walls. Uh, crucifixion was not legal inside the city walls. They, 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 didn't, uh, they, they, they didn't spoil their own nest, so to speak. They, 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 crucifixion took place outside of the city walls, likely right outside one of the gates. You remember last week we talked about the eight gates that circle the old city and that the Eastern gate was the one closest to the Mount of Olives. That's the one he came in to the city. Well, likely he went out either the Damascus gate or the uh, maybe Herod's gate. Um, but he, uh, he left the city uh, and was crucified outside of the city walls. Timeline. He was crucified about 9 a.m. So when the uh, 
the scripture tells us it was the sixth hour. The counting starts at nine. And that, that was the counting of the day. The day started at, uh, at either six or nine. Uh, but the, the, the crucifixion, uh, he was crucified at nine. And so when it says he died at the sixth hour, that would have been 3 p.m. And that, that, the timeline of that works because they would have then until 6 p.m. to get him off of the cross, take him to a place where they intended to bury him, lay him out, wrap his body the best they could before the Sabbath began, and then leave him. So um, the timeline was from the cross, um, soldiers cast lots for his clothing, people passed by shouting insults, um, from the cross, he spoke to his mother, uh, Mary, and to the disciple John. He cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, darkness covered the land. This would have been um, shortly before three o'clock. And so as he cried out, darkness covered the land, an unnatural darkness. Okay, it could have been a full eclipse. God is in charge of eclipses. Or it could have been just one of those deals where he had the cloud layer such that it, it blocked out the light. So darkness covered uh, the earth. Uh, an earthquake shook the ground. The curtain in the temple tore. And the Roman soldier acknowledged that he was the son of God. Let's back up. Was the cross necessary? Yes. The cross was necessary because it was the prophesied way that the savior, the Messiah would die. He, he, he didn't, wasn't going to die in battle. He wasn't going to die of old age. He wasn't going to fall and hurt himself. Uh, the scripture prophesies that he would die by crucifixion. Psalm 22, uh, Psalm 22 talks about him being pierced. And so his hands and his feet were pierced. And then later his side was pierced. You remember at the very uh, end of the crucifixion, his side was pierced, but that was after he was already dead. The Roman soldier pierced his side to see if blood would come out mixed with water, which was a signal that death had occurred. Uh, blood and water would be separate if the heart was still pumping veins, uh, blood through the, the system. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant would be uh, pierced for our transgression. Um, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And so the the, the most common crucifixion was just a stake, so a tree. So hung on a tree. The cross was sort of a, a late invention to make it even more painful. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23 says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, the body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. So in the sundry 
instructions given to the Hebrews as they were moving towards occupation of the promised land, he dropped this little tidbit in there. If you if you have to execute somebody, and there were provisions in the Old Testament law for that, and you hang them on a tree, and everything about that from the beginning seemed to be about the public nature of it. The, the order of the death in Deuteronomy almost seems like he's talking about uh, he, he's put to death and then displayed by hanging him on a tree. But, but the, the, the understanding of it historically is that he was, uh, that, that a criminal would die hanging on the tree. But since it was such a curse from God, uh, he was to be taken down and buried. Even when um, <clears throat> David uh, killed an enemy king uh, and hung him on a tree, he was taken down and buried because it was considered a curse if he was hanged on a tree overnight. So uh, Paul uh, in Acts 13, 29 mentioned Jesus being hung on a tree. Um, and, and the explanation is this. The apostles were not embarrassed that Christ died on a tree. It wasn't that he was shamed. They wanted to, to get clothes on him, get him down, get him off. The The, the, the curse was uh, very real, and that's why the crucifixion is because back in Deuteronomy, God had said to them, the man on the tree is going to carry the curse. The man on the tree is going to carry the penalty, carry the curse. And so they wanted to draw people's attention to it. So Peter in Acts chapter 5, Peter in Acts chapter 10, uh, Paul in Acts chapter 13, they all wanted to point attention to the fact that Jesus was hung on a tree because it fulfilled a prophecy that said in doing so, he would carry the curse. He was despised and rejected, uh, and the iniquity of us all was laid on him. Um so the crucifixion was the sin bearing, the curse bearing that Jesus did. And Peter and Paul wanted to show in their sermons that it was substitutionary. So was the, uh, the cross necessary? Yes. Was the cross uh, brutal and crazy? Yes. So let's switch to the Easter sermon. Was the resurrection necessary? Was the resurrection necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? It showed that God approved the sacrifice. He accepted the curse being atoned for. He accepted the sacrifice. Death was defeated. The, the miracle that really got Jesus in the most trouble was the resurrection of Lazarus, right? If, if we don't fear death, then we don't fear anything. Uh, you know, the, I think Jerry Seinfeld did a routine a while back that said the, the two things that people fear the most are public speaking and death in that order. So, he said that, that, that what people are saying is that they'd rather die as they started their speech. 
so that they didn't have to finish it. Okay, so the resurrection is the central fact of all of Christianity. Um, I say this often. I am, I am moved by the fact that Paul, the, the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews, born on the eighth day, the uh, born, born of the tribe, circumcised on the eighth day, Paul knew the Hebrew scriptures. And yet in 1 Corinthians, he said, if the resurrection isn't real, and there's a lot of flowery language that, that we could read to go with it. But basically, in 1 Corinthians, uh, well, I'll, I'll read it for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 19. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? How, how can you even say that? If there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Put it this way. If the resurrection's not fact, we all have something better to do on Sunday morning. <laughs> We, we got a lot of things better to do than just write a speech and sing some songs and, and gather together. We might gather together anyway because we like each other. But if that central fact, if that's the thing that can be disproven, if that's the thing that can be uh, um, discredited, and, and that's why the, the scripture goes to so much length to uh, even uh, pagans, you know, we say that Easter is a time when people uh, are at least open to talking about things of faith, because that central truth, the, 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 the resurrection just cannot uh, be discredited. Uh, I'm going to go a, a speed round of why the resurrection is so critical. I made a list in my notes, so I'll just sort of uh, fire them out there. Um because Christ was raised from the dead, we know that the kingdom of heaven has broken into earth's history. It's an unnatural thing for death to be uh, defeated. Uh, it, because of the resurrection, Christians know that death has been conquered. Because of the resurrection, uh, the authority is given to the church. The authority is given to our proclamation uh, of that message. Uh, because of the resurrection, we Christians can find meaning even in great tragedy. Uh, I have done way too many funerals this spring. And um, if it's not for the resurrection, I don't know what to tell families. Can you imagine how cruel it would be for me to even pretend to try to say nice things if I don't believe that there is an afterlife? If either I believe that there is only hell or that there's only dirt shoveled on you when you're gone and maybe somebody will remember you and maybe they won't. I, I cannot imagine so cruel that, that I would say, I don't know what I would say. Uh, the resurrection assures that Jesus is alive. 
that when we pray, we are praying to a Savior who is alive. It is present tense. It is modern day. It is, it is past. It is present. It is future. He's not legend. He's alive. He's real. Um, and because of the resurrection, we Christians look different. We act different. We think different. It is, it is language of alive, not language of death. And it's historical. From the beginning of time. So in Genesis, does anybody remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? When he said, I'm going to multiply your people. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you glory. The covenant ceremony in the Old Testament, let's say that. Bill and I decided he was going to sell me a car. If we were in the Old Testament, we would slaughter an animal, preferably a cat. I'm just kidding. We would slaughter an animal. We would separate the halves of the animal, and together we would walk through the parts of the animal by saying, if one of us breaks this covenant, if he's selling me a bad car or if my check bounces, may this happen to us. We agree. May we be cut in two if we break this covenant. Well, when Abram had that covenant ceremony, God said, you sit this one out. The animal was sacrificed. But Abraham fell into a deep sleep and he saw in his dream fire passing between the two parts of the animal. In other words, it was a unilateral covenant. God said, I am handling both sides of the covenant. In essence, he said, I will die for you. You don't have to do your half of the covenant. I will provide it. Same thing when um, uh, Abraham sacrificed or was willing to sacrifice his son. God provided the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to die. He was ready to sacrifice his son on the altar. Going to die. I, Dad, I, I see the, the, the wood. I see the, the fire. Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide. And, and so this... The, the, all of spiritual history has pointed to the resurrection. All of, of, of God's uh, organized uh, activity uh, through the nation of Israel and then for us, uh, it has moved towards uh, resurrection. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor 
and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. So the idea of a substitutionary atoning sacrifice on a cross, on a tree, was from the very beginning of spiritual history. And so that's why Paul was so so adamant that the cross was everything, that the empty tomb was everything. Now, think about the news cycle. Think about all the things that we've decided are just really, really important right now. A war in Europe, Eastern Europe, that is important. There are people that are being hurt. The economy is important. The the pain that families are dealing with, inflation, incarceration, uh, wayward uh, children, uh, loss of hope, death of loved ones. Those are all incredibly important things. But at the risk of sounding callous, Paul is helping us understand that this week we celebrate the one thing that is more important than all of that. That we celebrate the one thing that frames the pain that allows us to have hope in the darkness. It is the one thing that is more important than all of those things. All right. Any questions so far? We are really going to get into the scripture in just a minute. We've still got a little background to do. This is the the stuff I can't ever do on uh, Sunday morning. So you guys have earned it. Um, The... The place where we believe authentically that Jesus was crucified and buried, they're only about 75 yards apart. There's a few things that are real interesting to note. Um, One of them is that if you look at the larger uh, dome, Um, there are two domes on the Holy Sepulchre. The larger one, if you, in your mind's eye, look at the size and shape, it probably reminds you of another dome in the city of Jerusalem. The dimensions of the gold dome on the dome of the rock are almost identical to the dimensions of that. And when the Muslims built the Dome of the Rock, they copied this dome as sort of a, uh, I I don't know, a a taunt uh, to say that we control the city of Jerusalem now and we're going to build a prettier version of the dome that you already have to show you that our religion is better than your religion. And it was intentional, huh? One of this. Yep, yep. There's another thing that's interesting to note here. A number of religious groups 
um, control the the holy sepulcher. Um, let's see. Oh, where did I put it? It's in my notes, I promise you. Uh, the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the, the, what you see there um, was built by Constantine in the, the 300s. Well, the, the church you're going to see in just a minute. And, uh, and so uh, over the years, there has been a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, damage done to the church. Um, it was burned to the ground in the 19th century, and the church that you see is the one that was rebuilt after that. Um, and it is um, it is shared with the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, and the Catholic Church. They share governance. And before anything can happen anywhere, there's also an Ethiopian uh, and a Coptic uh, order that there's a total of six denominations that have to agree on everything. Wow. <laughs> so if you look, you'll see three ladders in view, and two of them are very obvious. There's one that's not as obvious. If you look at the base of the larger dome, there's a, a stairway that comes out of that dome to the roof. And then there are two arches with windows. <laughs> if you look closely at the base of the window that's on the right, you see another ladder. That is called the immovable ladder. It has been there for 300 years because somebody did some renovation without asking the rest of them. And now they can't agree on who has authority to tell them to move the ladder. <laughs> and that ladder has been there for 300 years. <laughs> right. So there, there is a, a, and they've also subdivided the inside of the church. Uh, show the other uh, picture. So inside the church is a church within a church. And so uh, this is called the eticule, the, the smaller one. And uh, I've never been in it because the lines have always been so long. My wife's been in it. Uh, Bill's been in it. I haven't ever been in it. Seven times I've been over there and I've never been inside it. Uh, inside that is thought to be the tomb where Jesus was laid. So the church is massive. And as you first walk in right under the immovable ladder, to your right is a stairway that goes up to a rock formation that is believed to be Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of crucifixion. If you weren't to go up that uh, ladder or that stairway and walk straight, you would walk and you would see a flat table, a limestone table covered with marble. It was thought that that was the place where 
Jesus was laid. Now, it's obviously not original because the whole church burned down in the 19th century, but they reconstructed and, and actually that the, the, the stone, obviously the stone of the, the place of the cross that it burned and the limestone table would have survived, uh, but they would have cleaned it up. As a matter of fact, in 2016, and if you go online and look up the National Geographic special, they were beginning to get concerned that the edicule, especially, if not the entire Church of the Holy Sepulchre, was being uh, compromised because the, uh, it, the Brits had tried to shore it up 100 years ago, but uh, they were concerned about the structural integrity. Now, the, the sure way to get those six denominations to agree on something is for the Israeli authorities to say, we're going to close it down. We're not going to let any more tourists in there at all because it's just not safe. And so now all of them have a vested interest because the income from this is enormous. And now they allow there to be a restoration project. And if you look up, um, it was in lots of publications, but National Geographic actually filmed it as they took the marble off of the limestone table where Jesus was laid out and wrapped between the crucifixion and the burial. They took the marble top and they, they had put a marble top on it because people kept chipping away rock uh, parts of it and taking it home with it. And so they put a marble top on it. That marble top had not been off of it since 1550. And uh, they... They restored it, cleaned it up, put the top. They did the same thing inside the edicule. Uh, they, uh, they actually dug down. And if you read some of the quotes, um, well, I'll, I'll read a couple of them. Um, the, the head of the Greek Orthodox, we saw where Christ was laid down before nobody has or nobody's still living. He says, we're the only people alive that have, that they, 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 they took it apart. They, they exposed the actual tomb. He added, we have the history, the tradition. We saw with our own eyes, the actual burial place of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Father uh, Friedrich Hebert, uh, the archeologist for National Geographic said, I'm absolutely amazed my knees were shaking because I wasn't expecting this. $3 million, nine months, the restored and resealed tomb was revealed to the public. This time workers left a small window in the marble so that pilgrims can see the limestone shelf underneath that is thought to be the actual burial place of Jesus. Now, there's a big part of me that says, why do we make all this fuss about a tomb? Jesus is the only one in the history of anyone that's ever borrowed a tomb and given it back. <laughs> I mean, I'm done. Thanks. Appreciate it, but here's your tomb back. I mean, that doesn't happen. And, and so the, it, it's not the tomb that is important. It's the fact that it's empty. It's the fact that 
Yeah, there, there are no bones. There are no remains. So the harmony of the Gospels is laid out in the chart that uh, I, I gave you. And, and, I, and I hope that you'll uh, print it or look at it online. Um, why is it so important? Part two. It's, it's important theologically because it lines up with scripture. But let's look at real life. Luke chapter uh, 24. Luke chapter 24. Let's look at why it was so important. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, Okay, let's set the timetable here. First day of the week for them would have been Sunday. Our first day of the week is Monday, right? We think Sunday is the end of the week. We have the weekend, and the, the, the end of the weekend is Sunday, first day of the week, Monday. Somebody once asked a pastor, why, do you take, why don't you take Mondays off? And he said, I don't want to feel that bad on my own time. <laughs> Sundays is Sundays and Monday is the first day of the week. And so early in on the first day at early dawn. And so it was barely light if it was light at all. The Sabbath had ended at 6 p.m. Okay, the, the Sabbath had ended the night before, but obviously she couldn't prepare the body without light. So her thought was, uh, as early as possible, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to anoint the body. I'm going to properly uh, bury him, taking the spices they had prepared. They, plural, uh, the, uh, the Harmony of the Gospels tells us that there are four women here. Uh, there are Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, Mary Clopas. Mary Magdalene, and then an unnamed woman. And there, uh, those four would have gone to the tomb. They found the stone had already been rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, when we celebrate that they put a window in an archaeological site so that we can see an empty tomb, we get all excited about an empty tomb. What do you figure the emotions of these ladies was? They were advanced that he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we equate the empty tomb with this story. But imagine when, whenever I do a graveside service at Arlington Cemetery, I try to say to the families, don't watch the casket being lowered into the ground. It is just a, a site that is, is hard to get out of your mind. It is better that you uh, we, we say the words we need to say. We pray the prayers we need to pray. We sing the songs we need to sing. Then we go away for a little while. We go have a cup of coffee. We go get lunch. Then we come back and see the gravesite as it has been prepared. 
with flowers. We, 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 we don't like the horrific thought of death. Imagine if they'd come back after lunch and there's an empty hole and no casket inside. Uh, imagine the emotion there. So they see a tomb that's empty and they are confused. Verse four, it says they are perplexed about this. And then two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. It's no doubt this is angels. The, the writer of Luke is trying to, to tell us that it's angels. They were frightened. Okay, that's the reaction anytime uh, there's an angel. Uh, when Mary uh, was told she was going to have a baby, don't be afraid. When the angels came to the shepherds, don't be afraid. Uh, angels come to these ladies, don't be afraid. They were frightened. They bowed their heads to the ground. The men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Spoiler alert. I built the whole sermon Sunday around that phrase. Why do we seek the living among the dead? And you'll have to come back Sunday to see where I'm going to go with it. But um, the, the, the phrase that quickly follows, the angels uh, were still inside quotation marks, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. Circle the word remember. Uh, that, that's saying you, you've already been told about this. You already know the scriptures that lead to this. All the promises, all the prophecies. Remember, remember, you were told and, and, and just in case you were slow to the uptake on the scriptures, Jesus himself told you. He told you while he was still in Galilee that he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And, and so the angels are, are working on an assumption that Jesus was crystal clear about what had to unfold. Did the crucifixion have to happen? Yes. Did it have to be on a tree? Yes. Did he have to be buried? Yes. Did he have to be validated as dead by the Roman soldier sticking a sword in him? Yes. Because people would say, oh, he just passed out. He walked out of the tomb. The disciples stole the body. He was just in a coma. No, they, they, the, the scripture goes to great lengths to let us know that he was dead. So verse eight, they remembered the words. Okay, it all came back to me. You remember that when, when there's a name in your mind and you just can't get it, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. And finally you remember it and, and everything you know, comes into focus. They remembered. They remembered the prophecies. They remembered the promises. They remembered Jesus's words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and then to the rest. <clears throat> Why not the 12? Because Judas, Judas is, is gone. Judas is gone. Hanged from a tree. Cursed. They told the 11 and everybody else. Okay. So here's a verse that we don't get very often. Uh, 
verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. Okay, it does name her. And Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, may have been more than four, who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, we hardly ever pay attention to. But the disciples thought it was an idle tale. Imagine that. Men not believing. That's all I'm going to say. I always imagine. I always imagine eye rolls and side eyes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, these women. What in the world? Well, on Sunday, I'll make more of it. What was the response of the women when confronted with the resurrection? Believe and share. Got to go tell everybody. Now, did they understand it? No. They were perplexed. The scripture says that. They didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They were confused. Yet they told what they knew. I'll, I'll explode that a little bit on Sunday. Yeah, Nelson? I was in a group that went through all of these. Why the mother of James in some in this one in particular, in the one you were reading, and the one I happen to have, and many of it, many say the mother of Jesus. You know, I understand what we believe about it, but there is a difference, you know, a difference there. Well, James was his brother. Well, I understand that. <laughs> um, there, there's so much that's uniform, you know, in what happens, but that's sort of, that just sort of stuck out to me. I'd never noticed. That. I, I, I think that the, the writer... I think he was building us to um, the climactic event that only John recorded. Mm. And, and, and that's when Jesus looked at Mary and pointed at John, or didn't yeah. point, behold your son. And to John, he said about Mary, behold your mother. And so John was a little bit more overt about um, Jesus being uh, the son of Mary. Uh, I think that Luke is the Gentile physician who is, uh, uh, he's given credence to genetics over. Mm. Okay, That's good. I can buy that. Um, I just didn't ever I, notice it. Before. Matthew would have emphasized uh, King Jesus. Uh, Luke is looking at the relationships. So these words seem to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But then Peter said, what if it's true? That, that moment that you gotta have, it's a this whole story, and I'll say this Sunday morning for the people who are, are visiting, they, it's their first time uh, or their first time in a long time. It, it's such a fantastic story, but what if it's true? Mm. 
Don't you want to run and see? Don't you want to run and see? Look at what Peter finally did. He rose, he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He saw for himself. He collected evidence. He, he didn't believe the women at first. He, he didn't believe the, the fantastic story that they would tell. But then he said, what if it's true? It's almost, are, are you familiar with uh, uh, the logic called Pascal's wager? Where a Christian says to a non-Christian, if what you believe is true and what I believe is not true, I have lost nothing. But if what I believe is true and what you believe is not true, you have lost everything. What if it's true? What if it's true? Simon Peter asked and God provided him the evidence. A little while later, God provided him with a conversation where his denials were uh, canceled out and he was restored. Uh, and that's why he would preach boldly in Acts chapter five about a man who was cursed on the tree. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm -hmm. So crucifixion. Burial, resurrection, it is no wonder that this is our favorite time of the year. Those three things, the, the suffering of Christ, and, and it's almost, it's, it's, if we were to go back to our theme of destinations, this story starts in the garden where he prays. It moves into the trials where he suffers. It moves to the empty tomb where he's victorious. Think about our daily life. It, it's not unusual that it moves from prayer to suffering to victory. And he, he gave us the example. And in doing so, he died a substitutionary atoning death on the cross, buried, raised on the third day, so that our preaching is not in vain, our faith is not in vain, death has been defeated, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. All right, everybody, more to come on Sunday, but uh, I hope that whets your appetite, and uh, we'll go from there. One quick question. Question, yes. A few verses back. Do we have any idea who Joanna is? Uh, no, um, we don't. It just says uh, she was Joanna, uh, early disciple. Um, <clears throat> her name is not Jewish. So it's possible that she was one of Luke's friends. Um, and he just kind of gave her a shout out. <laughs> We, we don't know much about her, if anything. <laughs>